All right, so today we're talking about how to retain employees and how do we attract employees and retain them with different tools beyond salary. Tell us a little bit about how you kept your key employees prior to selling your firm. Mostly love and kindness. Uh, <laughs> culture is a big deal too. But as far as, the, you know, seriously, the compensation package, something that um, I implemented pretty quickly outside the gate was um, stock appreciation rights, um, which I learned from Calvin. But uh, stock appreciation rights to give them, you know, some skin in the game and make it so that the culture is a little bit more open to the concept of building the sell. Because stock appreciation rights really um, help an employee uh, as the firm value grows. So it aligns their incentive to help you grow the firm and they benefit from that growth and value of the firm. Yeah, exactly. And, and part of my pitch with that too, with prospective uh, talent was, you know, it's not stock options. I'm not asking you to pay for them. You know, with stock options, you actually have to buy them most of the time. Um, I'm just giving you the appreciation of value from the time you're awarded to the time that we sell. And that's, you know, part of the company's gift to you for your sacrifice in, in, in working our, in our company and maybe not taking a, a different opportunity that's VC backed that has a, a lot more money to throw around right now, regardless if they end up being successful or not. Were you able to pay, did you end up paying um, below market salaries with the stock appreciation rates or did you pay um, equal to, you know, market salaries and have that in, as an additional benefit? So um, in the end, below market, uh, in the beginning, equal to market or uh, a little above market, but the market kept swelling and swelling and swelling. Mm -hmm. So the stock appreciation rights actually were a really good retention tool uh, to, to sort of bridge that gap and then actually exceed the Delta a little bit as well uh, with good faith and, and, and love and kindness as well as a big, big retention factor. Matt, you know, you, you worked with me when I sold my business. What are your thoughts on, on that type of retention tool from like the buyer's perspective? Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting, you know, buyer, they don't want to see a messy cap table. They want to see, you know, in a perfect world for a buyer, there's one owner, one decision maker, no debt, but in reality, there's usually some debt. There's usually multiple owners. There's usually some, you know, seed or series A investors. So there's, you know, there are a few different cooks in that kitchen that you need to align. Um, I think from a, from a buyer's perspective, also, if, you know, if those people that have been incentivized in the past with stock appreciation will they be incentivized in the future, especially if you have a services business, right? And you want to retain those employees after the fact, because that's, you know, a big chunk of the value of the business is keeping those, those people. So if that tool has worked in the past to keep those people, all right, well, maybe we need to be doing that in the future. So, you know, biggest predictor of the future is the past. Maybe that same, the stock appreciation will also be a good, you know, sort of barometer to show you know, retention in the future and it's, you know, shows reduced risk. I also think that it brings up the, you know, the discussion about being upfront with employees about selling the business too. You know, that that's another, you know, to sort of transition to that a little bit as well. I think there are two schools of thought. One is, you know, you know, most investment bankers will tell you, don't tell anybody that you're selling, right? Because the worst thing that can happen is you start losing employees during the sale process. I think it, you know, might depend on, you know, your, your 
your management team and how open you've been in the past about selling. You know, um, if you've already told them that you have a five-year plan and it, and that's that's the goal, you know, the, the cat's kind of out of the bag out of the bag at that point. But I think less is better in in creating disruptions during the sale. And I think there may be a difference between the employees knowing there's a plan to eventually sell the business. And frankly, if we're giving out stock appreciation rights or stock options or phantom stock or something like that, there's this implied uh, commitment. There's, there's going to be some sort of an event that produces cash income to the owners of those, those instruments. Um, but then what Matt's talking about might be more when you're actually starting the process of selling the business itself, who is in the know that it's actually happening now versus it's going to happen sometime in the next five years. Exactly. Yeah. My speaking personally, you know, I uh, tend to, 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 to wear my heart on my sleeve. So I went the other way with that and kind of made it common knowledge that events were going on because everybody's going to find out anyway, I'm not really good at, at that secret secret squirrel type of approach. So that's what I did. I'm not recommending that to anybody necessarily. It did create some of its own problems, but um, yeah, it just wasn't something I thought I was going to be able to pull off. I think it's nice. I think it's nice for employees to um, feel like, you know, if they're, if they're creating value in a firm, um, and that if that firm is sold at some point, whether, you know, phantom stock is, you know, only gonna, um, phantom stock is used a lot. I see phantom stock used a lot. Um, and I, I think it's, it's nice for employees to know that if there is a sale and they've helped create, create this value that, um, at that time of sale, not only will the business owner benefit from it, you know, who was the original person who had the vision and who has led the company, but that they will receive some kind of financial benefit from it, especially, um, especially when they're not at a public company and, and as a smaller private company, when you're competing with larger public companies that are giving stock options or RSUs and things like that, I think phantom stock and SARS can be a great way to, um, help employees feel that, um, you know, that they will benefit if there is a sale at some point, depending on what industry you're in. Yeah. I think that's a great point, Mandy, trying to tailor the instrument to the kind of business and the circumstance that you're in, because there's a world of difference between, a a small bootstrapped founder owned and operated business that's trying to grow and eventually sell, but there's no liquid market. There's no established valuation. Um, you know, cashing out an employee is very hard to do until the owners cash out themselves, right? So something in, in, in that situation, the owners often don't want to actually have shareholders with shareholder rights and fiduciary obligations and a cap table with additional owners in it, right? Um, and so something like a stock appreciation rights plan or phantom stock where they participate financially in helping grow and, and build the business value, but don't actually um, own securities and create the legal obligations associated with that, which is very different than, you know, VC-backed or a public company where there's established valuations. Uh, eventually there's gonna be a liquidity event if the business makes it, otherwise it goes under you know, worthless, but once it becomes public, there's a liquid trading market, cashing out employees is done in the public market. It's a very different dynamic than, you know, kind of the small bootstrap company that still wants to reward the employees, but not go through all the legal and accounting, you know, headache of having actual minority shareholders. Interesting how the culture behind that is so different from those two different organizations you just described, Cal. You know, it's like, if you go and get a job at a VC backed company, 
you should realize that that means that company is going to be sold because that's how the VCs make their money. And then in a smaller company, you, you, yeah, you, you more often than not get that, that tribal panic when they hear that the business is being sold. Um, and then for some reason, people just feel comfortable with the larger VC backed machine, just doing that. It's, it's quite interesting because you would think that the, the smaller business, the owner has more control and is probably thinking more about the future of the employees, you know, just broadly speaking, than a larger business that has a number of, you know, VC backed investors and they got to do what they got to do. Um, so yeah, just really, really interesting, uh, you know, mindset difference between employees and working in one of those businesses versus the other. I also think that when I talk to um, entrepreneurs about their business and they think about selling and it's just sort of one bucket and selling, you know, obviously you could be selling to a lot of different types of companies. You could be selling to a private equity firm and the private equity firm then might sell your company again. So, and so for example, if you roll some of your equity into that private equity firm, they call it the second bite of the apple. You get the first bite when you sell. The second bite is when the private equity firm sells again. And if you've rolled say 20% of your equity into Nuco, you get that second bite of the apple. The other option is a strategic buyer. When you sell to a strategic buyer, you might be getting all of it at once. And there, you might get some stock in the company, you might not, but you don't, you don't necessarily get that second bite of the apple if, you know, if the strategic buyer itself is not gonna sell. And then another option is a family office. So say you and your team really want some stability for a long period of time, and you really just wanna go to a home that's not gonna try to flip again in five years. A lot of family offices might have um, expertise in your industry and they don't have to sell because they don't have limited partners to, to, to make happy. They can just hold your company for the next 20 years. And maybe there's some profit sharing, maybe there's some dividends, but it's really just a, a long-term partnership. So there are just different options when you think about selling as an entrepreneur and they all have you know, their positives and negatives. So uh, changing gears a little bit, Cal, I have a question for you because uh, I know I leaned on you for this question, which is, you know, who are the professionals that you hire to set these types of programs up? Right, right. Um, yeah, so these kinds of programs fall under the general category of securities law, which kind of means the issuance of, you know, stock or debt or instruments that kind of look like or convert into stock or debt. Right, and so you may have an attorney that you go to when you need to collect from a delinquent client, a customer, or you need to help negotiate a contract. But unless they have actual experience doing things like stock, stock ops and plans, stock appreciation rates, phantom stock, um, you've got to find somebody that actually knows how to do those kinds of plans because they're they're regulated. There's federal and state securities laws to comply with uh, if done incorrectly the buyers could really get scared off or require um, more reps and warranties and holdbacks and everything to um, help mitigate the risk to them of a non-compliant plan that has run afoul of laws. So you get to really find an attorney who knows how to do these things well. Um, and then from a tax perspective, um, you know, make sure that you understand the tax ramifications for, for the business as the issuer of, of these instruments as well as to the employees, because the employees want to understand um, you know, what the tax ramifications are for them as well. So the key though, is really finding the attorney who knows how to do these kinds of plans and has, has done a number of these before. So you're not the first one that they're doing. How much does it typically cost to put, um, to put these kind of plans in place? Is there a range that you typically see? 
I know that there's some small businesses interested and sometimes they get scared away from the, the, the cost of implementing something like this too early. Yeah, I mean, it runs a really broad range, so it's hard to um, generalize. It depends on the type of plan and the complexity of the business. Um, but, you know, a basic simple plan maybe could get put in place for, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of $10,000 or so, but then it can quickly escalate depending on the, the complexity of the plan and the business. I've never had any attorney's fees escalate ever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a discussion yesterday, a little off topic with an attorney yesterday, and he was talking about, you know, potential capital gains increases under the Biden administration. And this particular client of his said he was so risk adverse, so um, adverse to paying extra tax, he actually got an insurance policy for potential eventualities with capital gains increases. So a lot, lot of creativity out there. That is very interesting. <laughs> insurance policy. So people are writing policies to insure against taxes going up. Which made me think that it, it's, you know, the thought was if an insurance company would underwrite that, would the, um, is, is, the is, is the overall feeling that Biden is going to be able to increase capital gains by that much? And the overall feeling was he wouldn't be able to get an insurance policy if, if, if they thought that was going to happen to the extent that it's proposed. I wonder what the price of those policies, uh, how those have been impacted by the elections in the past few days. That's a good point. I don't know. Just goes to show you that we will gamble on anything here in America. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs>